Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, March 18th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Ben Pearson. Hey, Peter, what's going on? I, I, uh, this is a really weird thing because you and I have been like splitting <laughs> duties on the podcast for a long time, and today just happens to be one of those days where we actually get to be on the podcast together, so it's good to hear your voice again. Yeah, it's always great talking with you because I, 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 miss, I, I miss all the water coolers, miss everything, and by the way, thanks for for handling things on Wednesday. I, uh, Kitra had her ankle surgery on Tuesday. She broke three bones in her ankle. I think I mentioned the, in the last podcast yeah, I was on. Man, what a bummer. And um, I thought, crazily enough, I was like, oh, the surgery is on Tuesday. Wednesday, I should be able to do a podcast. No. It's, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was stupid of me because apparently I am, you know, basically running around the house doing everything of, you know, that yeah. needs to be done. Is she recovering okay? Uh, she's doing the best that you can possibly do. I don't yeah. know. It, it's it's tough. Breaking bones is tough. Don't don't break your bones, people. I yeah. I, I know that seems like obvious advice, but um, <laughs> and, and she broke it in a non interesting, the most non interesting way possible. She was in a bathroom, <laughs> like pulling up her bathing suit. We were in like a like a tiny cruise ship bathroom yeah. probably. Or, or it wasn't even a cruise ship uh, bathroom because we were on like this island, this oh, private okay. island of the cruise ship and she just like slipped and fell and oh, yeah, just so uh but it it's it's amazing. I don't know, you don't think of how hard it would be if you didn't have one ankle until you don't have one ankle. Oh yeah. Like us getting to a taxi or an Uber is like oh my god like that that is like something we need to plan out now and uh we had to go uh to the um you know to the airport and i i don't know it it is wonderful the amount of work that these airlines put in and having uh employees that will come meet you with a wheelchair and escort you to the gate and stuff like that because i don't know how i don't know how it would be possible without that like Man. yeah 
Anyways, okay, let's people probably are not listening for this. Uh, let's talk about some news stories. Let's start first with uh, some news in the animation space. At Skydance Animation, which is kind of a newcomer to this space, uh, they have locked down a new dis or a, a a famous Disney alum uh, has ended up over at Skydance. Tell us about it. Yeah, so Rich Moore, who directed Wreck-It Ralph and Zootopia and Ralph Breaks the Internet, has signed a big multi-year deal with Skydance Animation. Um, Moore is, you know, a, a great animated filmmaker, like one of the, the better ones of our of our era, I think, working now. Um, and he, uh, yeah, for, for a little bit, he was over at Sony. He worked on Vivo, the um, Lin-Manuel Miranda starring uh, musical that actually uh, started as a Sony animation project and then was sold to Netflix last year. Uh, but then I guess he, I don't know, his, his tenure at Sony Pictures was very brief. So he ended up signing this new deal. And now he is sort of reunited with John Lasseter, who is the uh, disgraced former head of Pixar and, and Walt Disney Animation Studios, who has uh, weirdly, controversially, I guess, gotten a, a major position over at Skydance. Um, running their animation department. So I don't think Skydance Animation has actually released anything yet, but they've had several movies in development. And now Rich Moore is going to be one of the people who um, are going to be creating and producing original animated features over there. Yeah, and I now wonder, was the whole Brad Bird situation the reason why Moore left Disney? We don't really know. So I'm asking that question out loud with no actual answer. Wait, the but Brad it, Bird situation? or the? I mean, I'm uh, sorry, the Lasseter situation. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'm mixing up because I'm thinking also Brad Bird has, has ended up over there and he's doing his Ray Gun for Skydance. Yeah, animation. that was kind of a surprising announcement too. Yeah, but uh, both these people have... Uh, <laughs> I'm mixing it all up in my head, Ben. But basically what I was trying to get at is both these people, both these filmmakers have a history with with John Lasseter, mm -hmm. um, uh, obviously. And um, bo both these people, uh, Brad Bird and Rich Moore, worked on The Simpsons. Um, so there's that. But they, you know, they all come from that. Uh, what is that famous uh, classroom? A113 mm -hmm. in <laughs> Cal Arts, yeah. So um, maybe there's something there, but you, you, as you said, the the first thing from Skydance An Animation has not we have not seen it yet. It's called Luck, and it will come out in August on Apple TV Plus, and then that will be followed by Spellbound, which is directed by Vicky Jensen. That's the from Shrek and Shrek Tale. Uh, it will feature music from Alan Menken, uh, who you know. <laughs> has written many of the most classic uh, Disney songs. And then, of course, you know, Brad Bird's working on Ray Gunn and whatever Rich Moore is going to be working on. Uh, you know, now that we've recently came off this, like, <laughs> you know, all, all this hubbub, all this controversy over at Disney, uh, especially with, you know, uh, that letter from the people at Pixar, like all, all the creatives at Pixar speaking up. Do you think there's actually a chance? Like, it really seemed to me that there was no chance at all of of Disney and Pixar ever, you know, not being the top dogs in animation. But now it seems like there might be an opening. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, Netflix has been putting a ton of resources into trying to build up its own animation thing. Um, yeah, I'm curious to see just from like a purely um, like under a microscope kind of business perspective, how Skydance does, because I have very mixed feelings about these Skydance movies under the, <laughs> um, 
you know, under the, the uh, oversight of John Lasseter. Like I, I feel like that, uh, that whole situation was so messy for Disney. And then Skydance was just kind of like, oh yeah, we don't, I guess we don't care that much about this whole controversial thing. We'll just, uh, we'll take you because of your track record in the industry. And um, we're not really going to uh, grapple with or contend with in any meaningful way the uh, the reason that you basically got booted out of the Walt Disney Company. Um, so I, I kind of feel strange about these uh, Skydance projects, but yeah. Um, yeah, just from like an in, an industry standpoint, like you mentioned, I'm I guess I am curious because uh, Rich Moore and uh, and people like Brad Bird have made you know huge huge animated hits before. And, um, yeah, maybe if, uh, if Disney is sort of like on the decline, maybe there is a, a way for somebody else to sort of, uh, fill in that power vacuum a little bit. I guess while I was talking, I would like in my head, I was thinking like, oh, maybe some of these people, these creatives that, you know, Disney and Pixar that are unhappy might jump over to Skydance animation, but, uh, <laughs> you know what, it, it, there's problems over there too. So yeah, I mean, yeah. with, with, with the leadership and I'm sure that there are people that don't want to work for, for Lasseter. So I, 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 I don't know what the future of animation holds, but it'll, it'll be interesting for sure. Okay, uh, let's move on to another streaming service because uh, Amazon has officially acquired MGM. The deal is $8.5 billion. Tell us about it. Oh, man. Yeah, we, we've been talking about this one for a while. Um, you know, I think it was last year or maybe a little bit longer <laughs> ago than that, that this possibility was first floated. And then I think it was sort of a surprise that yesterday, I believe, um, the announcement came through that like this had actually been approved and like it, it the deal is, is closed. It's done. So $8.5 billion traded hands. And now Amazon officially owns MGM, which is kind of wild to think about because MGM was founded in the early 1920s and is, you know, one of the longest running uh, major studio forces in in Hollywood, uh, has a ton of major, uh, obviously, like franchises and, and movies that it's made over the years. And um, evidently, now the entire library, more than 4,000 film titles, 17,000 TV episodes, uh, all of that is going to be now under Amazon's purview. So uh, I mean, immediately, uh, we've talked about this before when we were sort of spe speculating about whether or not this deal would actually happen. But the the biggest thing, the biggest sort of jewel in this crown is the James Bond franchise. And like the expectation is, oh, of course, Amazon is paying all of this money so they can have access to uh, MGM's biggest franchise, which is Bond. Um, the really, really interesting thing about that is because uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, who are the, the sort of... Um, uh, what would you call them? The uh, the custodians of the Bond yeah. franchise. Um, they have said several times, like they're not really interested in spinning Bond off into TV or standalones or any of that. So I'm curious if like now that No Time to Die has happened and the Daniel Craig Bond run has brought the franchise to a, a natural uh, pause point or a natural break, if now is the time where once this, you know, now that this deal has gone through now, this may be like the actual moment where the one time in history really, where they could be like, okay, we let's press pause on this and actually think about whether or not we, we want to sort of um, give in to these larger like corporate requests of uh, whether or not we're going to expand the bond franchise. So I think that's like the big question coming out of all this is like what happens with bond. Um, but yeah, that library is certainly going to bolster the library for uh, Prime Video and all that and make uh, Amazon Prime seem yeah. more like a, a better deal, I guess. 
that's what I was going to ask you. Like, does that mean that Amazon is now going to have that extensive library? I think on, so. Yeah. I, yeah, I believe that's correct. Um, yeah, Amazon released a a, a a statement saying that the the storied, nearly century old studio and all of its uh, assets will complement Prime Video and Amazon Studios' work in delivering a diverse offering of entertainment choices to customers. So, yeah, I think I think all of those movies. Unless there's like you know pre-signed deals for specific yeah. titles or whatever, um, should I'm I don't know exactly when this is going to happen, but should be sliding into the uh, the Prime Video um, uh, archives, I guess. MGM used to be a big name in you know movie production, movie distribution. Nowadays, it's less so. Although they they do release a bunch of movies each year. What does this mean for the future of MGM's movies as a as a brand? Man, yeah, that's a that's an interesting question because like for a long time MGM was sort of dis- defined by like the the um, extravagance of it. Like the you know there's this whole period in like the I guess 1950s probably fo- maybe late 40s into the 50s where MGM was was like the studio in town known for making big like Technicolor movie musicals. You know, Singing in the Rain and American in Paris and Brigadoon and like all these huge. Uh, musicals were like a massive deal in in pop culture at the time. And since then, MGM has sort of like, I would say struggled to find an identity as a studio. Like they, they've, you know, they have a ton of different projects under their, uh, you know, in their history. But like the Rocky movies, I guess, or maybe the Rocky and Bond are kind of like the, the big, um, I guess, tentpole franchises that you sort of associate with, MGM. And then like in recent years, they've, they've branched out into TV and they're responsible for like the Fargo show on FX and the Handmaid's Tale, which is on Hulu. So, I mean, they have like a bunch of hits, uh, sort of across a bunch of different spectrums, but as far as the, like the brand of what MGM is known for. Yeah. I, I wonder if this is going to be an opportunity for Amazon to, um, really define that again and, and sort of like prop MGM up in a way of saying like, this is what an MGM movie is in the 2020s. Or if it's just going to sort of get lost under the Amazon umbrella and just, you know, as so many things sort of feel like these days, whatever comes out of it is just going to be like, oh, another uh, drop in the content river, you know. And you're right about the MGM brand in recent years being like a mix of everything. Like, you know, uh, in 2021, uh, you know, uh, their logo was attached to the, the Adams Family 2, House of Gucci. Licorice pizza and dog, so <laughs> so it's, that goes to show you the the wide variety. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't seem uh, like a consistent uh, brand or message or you know what what it's trying to accomplish. It seems like there a little bit of prestige is is still trying to be associated with the MGM brand. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see what Amazon does with that because it seems like Amazon wants to release, you know, with their logo to get the the gold statues. Yeah. So would they would they use the MGM brand uh for award contenders? I'm not sure they would. So Yeah, I wonder if it would be something like um you know, how like uh Fox Searchlight is is like owned by Disney but like is able to operate essentially as kind of an independent um subsidiary or organization underneath the Disney banner where like the the folks at Disney are kind of like at least as of right now, uh, still giving them, you know, sort of like the, uh, the ability to make decisions um, on their own and independently and all that. So I wonder if like that will be the same kind of thing where it's like, 
Amazon Studios presents an MGM release of whatever, you know, like that kind of thing. So um, I don't know how that works with Oscars and all of that. I guess it ultimately goes to to the the uh, like the highest uh, corporate <laughs> entity on the chain, right? So like yeah. if if Fox Searchlight wins an Oscar now, I think Disney like technically collects that. So uh, yeah, maybe maybe that's how Amazon will start um, winning hardware. <laughs> Okay, we have a couple Star Wars stories here. I'll, I'll, we'll go, go briefly on this one. Uh, Samuel Jackson is in the press again saying that he really, really wants to return his Mace Windu. I, this isn't anything new. I think at Star Wars Celebration a few years back, uh, he, he basically was like, Mace Windu's still alive. <laughs> like, he like, ended, like <laughs> his thing, uh, which is not canon, but uh, he said it on, you know, on this video message on stage. Uh, but he appeared recently on... Uh, a podcast, uh, the Happy, Sad, Confused podcast, and he was asked about the. By the way, I want to want to point out that like it's not like these actors are going to all these press outlets and being like, "Hey, I really want to return as Mace Windu." Is that they return? They appear on these press outlets for interviews, and then the you know the the nerdy host you know asks the question that is going to get clicks. Of course. <laughs> Sam Jackson, do you want to return as Mace Windu? So I don't know. I feel like uh, when you see the headlines, it always like I, I feel like from afar, everybody thinks that like uh, Samuel Jackson is like, looking like running for Star through Wars the Park? streets, like, yeah. you know, ripping off his clothes and just screaming to the heavens like, won't somebody put me back in Star Wars? It's not not quite like that. Yeah. Uh, but he said he's very interested. He uh, Here's the quote. The only person I've ever said that to about coming back was Bryce Dallas Howard because I just did a movie with her and she directs episodes of The Mandalorian. So I go, so you think you might be able to hook a brother up? I mean, you like me, right? And she's like, I love you. You're amazing. So put me back in. I'm ready. Put me back in, coach. I'll I'll learn lightsaber left-handed. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, the question here is like, you know, I, I – I've talked to Brad about this in the past and he has this whole pitch of like uh, Mace Windu is kind of like this blinded kind of like, uh, you know, that whole like samurai um, Mm -hmm. trope of, uh, you know, this old blind like samurai warrior kind of guy who has kind of been out of the game. Uh, I I can see that. But on the other side of the, the coin, how many Jedi do we need to have survived the Jedi purge? <laughs> do, do you know I mean, like, it, it seems like at this point, there's like more than I can count on two hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably too many already. I mean, as much as I love Samuel L. Jackson, um, you know, there every single time that, that star Wars announces a property like Obi-Wan Kenobi, where they're going back and they're like filling in little gaps and, you know, bringing back familiar characters. I just kind of, my heart sinks just a little bit. I know people really love this franchise and have like, uh, you know, such a, such a tie to it. But as I've said for years and years and years, Star Wars is just such an expansive, there's so much potential to just like expand, expand, expand. And every single time that they uh, bring back familiar faces, I'm like torn (laughs) about it because I I know that people love it. um, But I would just love for them to create new faces that then maybe people can argue about whether or not they should be brought back, you know, decades afterwards. Oh, they, they tried that then. It did not work out well. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Okay, let's move on to the final story. This is the the, the real reason I wanted to geek with geek out with you on this podcast, and because I know that you you'd love to talk about this. Uh, the story is that David Lindelof might be making a Star Wars movie. Now, I want to uh, say before we get into this that this comes from the folks at the Ankler, which is this uh, movie uh, insider newsletter, and it comes from. Uh, journalist Jeff Snyder, uh, even him in this report was basically like, I've heard rumblings of this, but I have not been able to confirm it. Uh, honestly, we usually don't cover that kind of thing on Slash Film, <laughs> but uh, the Inkler has a good track record. Uh, Jeff Snyder has a decent track record. Um and, you know, these are two things that we love, Damon Lindelof and Star Wars, and the prospect of them being together in a some kind of movie that I'm guessing, if this is true, would probably be announced at Star Wars Celebration uh, later this year. Uh, seems very exciting to me. Uh, ben, wh- what do you think? What, what Would you want to see a Damon Lindelof Star Wars? Uh, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's go for it. Um, I, I think, you know, it, not only do we really like Damon Lindelof and Star Wars, but Damon Lindelof himself loves Star Wars. That's like, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of part of his whole identity. I mean, that, that's one of those things where I think he was wearing a Star Wars shirt when he met up with J.J. Abrams for the first time, like in the pre-Lost days, like to, you know, just to to talk about the pitch for that show. Um, he has spoken many times in many different places about his love of of this particular franchise and uh yeah i think it would be i mean you know damon lindoff has already <laughs> made star trek movies some people could argue about the quality of of those films uh i happen to really still love the 2009 uh movie there and i actually like star trek beyond which i don't think he had anything to do with um but uh yeah you know do people not like the 2009 one um, I don't know. I, I maybe maybe they still do. Uh, who knows? Uh, fandom is complicated these days, Peter. I'm not sure where people uh, stand yeah. on, on these things. But um, I okay. So so your question here is like, what kind of Damon Lindelof Star Wars project would I want to see? Yeah. Uh, I think um, Jeff Snyder mentioned that it's it's a movie, right? So I would say because Lindelof has been. I guess almost like single-mindedly interested in uh, where we come from, telling stories about where we come from and like these grand ideas about um, the organization and and sort of uh, creation of universes and like, um, you know, people uh, having crises of faith and and, uh, seeking out their origins. I would love to see a story like that in the Star Wars universe where that really like taps into the themes that he's really interested in as a storyteller. I would so so to me that translates into maybe something going all the way back to like the uh what is it called? Like the the um the guardian of the wills or whatever. Like the, yeah. the stuff that was sort of alluded to in Rogue One and and has sort of been sprinkled throughout the um the Star Wars franchise as we know it. And I'm certainly not like a major Star Wars nerd. I don't know all of that lore and all of the stuff surrounding that, but I would love to see, yeah, maybe somebody who like grows up, realizes that they're force sensitive and is like curious about where that came from and tries to like backtrack their way into uh, discovering, you know, the origin of this whole thing, like where it all came from is if there is some sort of 
uh, small group that is uh, you know responsible for the creation of the Jedi or or the creation of the Sith or whatever. Um, that kind of uh, soul searching Star Wars story is something that I think Damon Lindoff would be um, really well equipped to tell. Uh, but that's kind of like the the broad strokes that I have in my mind. See, I also came up with an idea for a Damon Lindelof Star Wars movie, and it was basically the same exact thing as what you just said. So, <laughs> so is that too obvious of of like a like would Damon Lindelof not go for that because that just seems like so on brand for him? I don't know. I, I wonder if he's like even capable of doing something else because it's like it's one of those yeah. things that is just like so in his DNA as a storyteller. These these ideas just come up over and over again across Lost and uh, the Leftovers and and even Watchmen to a degree. Um, so I, I think you know that that's kind of like who he is. So at, at a certain point, if you're hiring him to write a Star Wars movie for you, um, you kind of know <laughs> you kind of know what you're going to get unless he's just going to completely swerve and do something totally different, which I would also love to see from him just because it would be so different than the previous work that he's put out. And I'm I just I really like Damon Lindelof as a person. Um, I know he's gotten uh, he's had a complicated relationship with social media because of like how terrible the Internet was to him in the, in the wake of the lost finale. Yeah. And he's he's spoken up a lot in recent years about how um, really like he feels kind of singularly responsible for the way that the world views the lost finale now, because he spent so much time engaging with um, the, the negative response, which comparatively was not that big of a response, but he spent so much time sort of addressing it and amplifying that, that now if you, if you talk to anybody, you know, if you, you talk to a hundred people off the street and ask them about the lost finale, even if they haven't seen it, they'll probably say like, Oh yeah, I heard that sucked. Um, just because I think Damon Lindelof engaged so, so much with that as a, as a sort of defense mechanism that, um, that it, it amplified that uh, that idea across all of these headlines over and over and over again in the in the ensuing years, and so I think he's like uh, he's he's come to reckon with that that he has sort of like uh, shaped the narrative about his own show, which is he has complicated feelings about. But um, I, I just really like him. I think he's like a, a really uh, um, like just a genuine person. <laughs> like uh, yeah. you can you can sense that he he uh, wears his heart on his sleeve and tells it like he sees it and. Uh, just seems like a, a really good guy. So I, I hope that, you know, it works out for him. Um, and he's obviously made some great stuff since Lost, uh, which I still stick up for. But um, so it's not like, you know, he'll be fine if this doesn't work out, you know. Uh, but I would I would still just love to see this just because I'm curious about his career. Although, you know, a- after your her- whole, whole uh, rant there, I, I kind of wonder if like, is if I'm Damon Lindelof, is it the the healthiest thing for me to get involved <laughs> to in this, into in a, a franchise War. like that? Yeah, because it, it it just seems like you know nobody's happy, you know, <laughs> with Star Wars. <laughs> like yeah. you know, fans always find something that they don't like, and uh, I, I guess now he's not on Twitter anymore, so it's not like he can, uh, it's going to respond to that. But I, I'm sure at some point, you know, you make a Star Wars and you get an interview. And you have to respond to things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm curious about the Kevin Feige Star Wars in that regard too. Oh, yeah. Because, like you said, there's there's so much um, 
you know, everybody has their own idea of what a Star Wars thing should be. And Kevin Feige stepping into that world. And I think Michael Waldron, the the um, showrunner of, or head writer, excuse me, of uh, of Loki is going to be writing the script for that movie and, and Feige's producing it. And that's not going to come out for like several more years. But like when that does happen, what's the response going to be to a Kevin Feige produced Star Wars movie? Because like you said, there's so much sort of uh, vitriol in, in Star Wars, even not necessarily from the same people that like, didn't like the last Jedi, for example, but like people who don't like the book of Boba Fett or like whatever the next star Wars iteration or project is, there's always like a, a, a vocal group that just comes out against it. Um, so it's not like the same people are hating on the same star Wars stuff all the time, but uh, yeah, I'm just really curious to see um, with Feige's track record, what happens there. And I would, I would be uh, curious to see what happens when, if Lindelof steps into that <laughs> minefield as well. I feel like I almost want to see Lindelof do a Star Wars TV show rather than a movie, but uh, it doesn't sound like that's, I don't know. We, we don't even know what this is because this literally came from an email that came into my email box, <laughs> do you know what I mean? like mm-hmm. an, an email newsletter. And it's like, oh, we've heard this, but we haven't been able to confirm it. So yeah. what the, keep watching out and see. What, I like the idea of it though. Yeah, me too. Okay. Uh, that does it for today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at SlashFilm.com. And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday.